Hi, readers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Not Another Heroine, the podcast where we break down the best and worst fictional heroines, those swashbuckling ladies who have to work a little harder than expected for their happy ending. This week, we are finally finishing Court Duel by Sherwood Smith, otherwise known as, unfortunately, I find you boring. We're getting uh, dark and sinister. Uh, Just a little bit. But, I mean... Oh, that reminds me. So, have you seen Clueless? Yes, I have. A long time ago, but yes. That is one movie I have seen. (laughs) Okay, don't don't take this the wrong way, but the last intro we recorded, Mm -hmm. you sounded a little bit like Cher. I could see that. I... I think it's the Valley Girl uh, intonation there. <laughs> just just a touch, but it's perfect. It's just, I love it. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, what is her line? Uh, as if. As if. That was too much attitude. I'll try again, never. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being honest. <laughs> That's okay. It'll just come to you naturally. Maybe. <laughs> I'm not very good at, uh, it's not impersonations. Uh, is it? When you like, uh, <laughs> in case you, in case you'd like to know, we've been working on the podcast for about ten and a half hours <laughs> at this point. So uh, very much like our champagne episode, this is going to be the tired episode. <laughs> this is turning into a full time job. It sure is, and we love it. Though. Yeah, that's fair. It's like a fun full time job. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> um. Well, getting into it. So we ended um, episode three, right? Episode three. Um, with Flauvik, uh, going in for a little peck with our girl Mel. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. And it's funny because, uh, Mel thinks about the same, uh, as you do. <laughs> she literally laughs off the whole thing. And funnily enough, I don't think that's a word, but it sounds right in this context. Funnily enough, um, a moment later in response to a joke made by Flauvik, she immediately links it to something that. Who said the Marquis of Chevrolet? Hmm, I wonder. Maybe hmm. the Marquis is just sitting at the top of her brain. Isn't that interesting? Right after a bad romantic moment with another man, mm-hmm. she immediately thinks of the Marquis. Mm-hmm. The Marquis is living in her head rent free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Has been for uh, the better part of two books. <laughs> I was about to say this whole <laughs> podcast and book. <laughs> but um, getting to the meat of why Mel is there. Uh, Flauvik recommends for the theme of the engagement party to be like a historical throwback thing where everyone's dressed up as an ancestor from a specific time period and they have like music and decorations that fit. And so Mel's all super excited. She's like, oh my God, this is a great idea, but let me turn it into, you know, my history, our family and see if I can find something that ties in like me's family too. I mean, the descriptors like of this party made me want to go. Oh my God. It sounded so fucking cool. Right? (laughs) Yeah. It made me jealous of rich people and their parties. (laughs) Like I know I will never be invited to one of those, but like, damn, it's probably really cool. If you were ever invited to one of those, Mm -hmm. you'd probably end up in the corner halfway through the (laughs) evening making friends with whatever, you know, pet was roaming around. That is true. I'm definitely the kind of person that finds the dog at the party. Mm Mm-hmm. And I will live with that. <laughs> I'm not super social. Jordan here is one of like three friends. 
right back at you. Like we are, <laughs> we are the same person. Yeah. And so uh, for Mel, uh, think back, dear listeners slash readers. Uh, was there a place somewhere in the palace that had a bunch of like historical records about family members and royalty? Oh, hmm. this place. Uh, in a specific study that also sometimes, almost all the time, houses a certain marquee. Hmm. Ah, interesting. Yep. And uh, who actually has a whole interaction that doesn't go south? I was so surprised at this part. This was, I think, their first actual conversation that wasn't fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> it's positive. Like, they actually have a... Well, I mean, their horseback ride wager thing earlier oh, on. Oh, that was true. But didn't they get to the end and they, like, got into it again about some dumb shit? Yeah. 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 So it only took the whole book. <laughs> but they got there. <laughs> Literally the whole book. This is the final episode of this we're podcast. We're proud of you, Mel. For this book. Yeah. I mean, caveat there. But yeah, we're proud. You did it. You you did it. I mean, <laughs> he's a handsome man. Mm -hmm. She's mm -hmm. nervous. That's fair. I feel like we all we all fell that way. Um, but during this conversation, super adorably, like it's in such a Mel manner that this is delivered. Um, she invites the Marquis and his parents to the engagement party. And um, she basically asks him, like, uh, I should invite you guys, oh, right? <laughs> and he's like, um, yes, it would be a little weird if you didn't Future speaking. King here. <laughs> yeah, you should invite me. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, that's fair. And then runs away. <laughs> Unsurprising. So for the next several days... Um, Mel is busy planning a party, doing historical research for said party, and doing a whole lot of writing to her little secret admirer. She's planning things. She's getting ready. She's um, talking to a bunch of uh, artisans. Is that the right word? She goes out and goes into full hostess mode. Yeah, which is impressive because she's never done that before. No, this like, is her first time at court. Yeah, and she smashes it like she kills it <laughs> she kind of approaches it the way she approaches like battle planning like, mm. and getting just getting things done oh mm -hmm. i need to talk to x y and z yeah okay yeah. i can do that this lady would be really good in charge of some like big fortune 500 company is like they're like operations person or something mm. like screaming at people like you're stupid like this needs to be done yesterday <laughs> it, okay that fits in the beginning remember she's super good at numbers <gasps> that She's is like true. A mathematician that is kind of thing. Yeah, literally the very first scene in this fucking book. Wow, full circle. That was an excellent point, Jordan. Mm, thank you. Yes. I what do is make the little rarely? <laughs> what is With the little, little fans? fans? Yeah, like direct hit. <laughs> <laughs> we are waving our imaginary fans at each other. Right now. <laughs> you can't see us, but we look stupid. Yeah. We're <laughs> uh, yeah. So Mel keeps uh, planning her party, working away. Um, until she gets a surprise visitor. And normally that would be exciting, but um, this person is none other than her former family. Oh my God. Family? <laughs> her is that like a camel related <laughs> to you? That was a gross laugh too. <laughs> her former family spy, Asmus. Azzy. Azzy. Azzy, Azzy is back. <laughs> um, unfortunately though, uh, immediately bringing a downer to this laughing joking moment in our lives um he basically tells her that uh in response to a letter that she had sent earlier kind of like asking him like hey like what's this whole princess alestra situation like 
you know, did she actually knowingly help me escape? And he's basically like, yes, like, obviously, she very well knowingly, like, this all of was this. was a, you're kind of an idiot. Right? <laughs> he's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, we planned this whole escape and you're, like, doubting the truth. Um, uh, but, yeah. And then he basically... Oh, okay. Yeah. He basically offers, he's like, Mel, like, I understand how like crazy this all is, but why don't you let me kind of reinvigorate my spying efforts and we can help um, Marquis of Chevreuth now that we know he's like, you know, good guy, TM capitalized. Um, we can help him secure the throne against the Marquis of Marindar, who basically is a snaky bitch. And uh, it's funny too, because he retires um, he's like a gold worker or mm -hmm. something. And he basically is getting bored in retirement. And he's like, can I have my like side job back now? <laughs> Akko. Um, it's exciting. He was a spy during a war. He got to help overturn an entire government. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we don't need you anymore. Like go back to gold working. Go make jewelry <laughs> for us. He's like, this is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting. This little tidbit at the end of the conversation um, she has another task for him. So she asks him to make a little gold ring for someone special. Ooh, I wonder who that could be. Not her secret admirer that she's been writing what? like love letters no, with. Not the, not the one person who's already given her a ring. Weird. Mm. Yeah. And she just goes on in this little episode of like showing character development and emotional growth because she very suavely like arranges this to interrupt and like intercept a little writing group that's attended very often by her uh, brother and his fiance and also the Marquis of Chevreuth who they were like, Oh, you don't have to come with us. I know you're not going to like it. Like there's a certain person here. Like we all know you don't like him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But she's like, you know what? I need to start supporting this man in his claim to the throne. I'm just going to like, go find them and invite myself into their little writing party. And she does it so well. Like I was, it was impressive. Super, yeah. Super surprised. After watching her like fumble around with, especially when she first arrives at the capital and, oh, and her interactions with Lady Tamara. This was masterful. Yeah. Masterful. That's a good word for it. Because like normally she avoids these. So she doesn't have to spend time with the marquee. She doesn't have to have other people see her not having a good time with him and like awkwardly glaring daggers at him. And it's funny too, because like this whole thing goes off without a hitch. And she like even has this like very pleasant, very public conversation with the marquee. And I just imagine he's like, what is happening? that suspicious? <laughs> <laughs> like that's weird. You go from <laughs> complete hate to... I can tolerate your presence. Yeah. And it's funny too, because like in the book, she just kind of, she like has this conversation and she's like, okay, I did it. And then walks away and totally ignores him for the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. But like job well done, but also it's still Mel. <laughs> Yikes. So basically in one fell swoop, Mel shows her heartily earned social prowess and also her personal growth. Um, it was just a touching moment. She did it full send. Yeah. You know, I, don't remember this scene like, really reading it originally like I, rem I remember it now since we yeah. just went through it again but yeah it was like reading it for the first time i actually don't remember this one either because i feel like it was a good point like she has this whole moment where she's like okay the marquis of chivalry is a good guy i'm going to like personally have my spy help support him and then also i'm going to have a public conversation so people are like 
oh, wow, like she supports him. She's maneuvering. Yeah. Yes. She did it. It's very end of the novel. She did it. She can now maneuver. A lot of the action scenes that we have in the first book, like help push Mel towards character development and like emotional growth. Mm -hmm. But the, the, there's a lot, the same pushing technique here in, you know, court duel, but it's more subtle. So you don't quite mm -hmm. recognize it for what, for what she's doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's successful and she's doing it well and it's impactful and it's doing all the things she needs it to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have this great little moment and then we immediately get our hearts crushed a little bit. <laughs> Um, so she, it, you know, it starts to rain. And so the group returns back to the palace and, um, Mel has this little, like, you know, walk to herself and she's thinking through all these like very complicated feelings. Like, oh my gosh, the Marquis is like actually kind of a good guy. Like, uh, we've had a lot of, uh, history together. Like, how do I feel about all this? How do I fix some of this? Ooh, yes. Because she has this whole existential crisis about like, how in the fuck do I apologize to this man? She kind of sits back and realizes, <laughs> I've been the asshole. Yeah. <laughs> she definitely like, is she the asshole? Like, yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> but it's so sad because I feel like she does not deserve this next scene. So basically, she's kind of like looking out the window and she sees these, you know, like foggy two bodies, you know, outside. And she's like, I'm a curious person. I'm going to look. foggy set the scene a little too. Oh, like yeah. It's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's raining outside. And I imagine they're not very like high quality. This like, isn't you know, Titanic glass. fog. It is. <laughs> no, not at all. It's like depressing, like uh, curiosity killed the cat fog. Like, oh, who is that? And then you kind of open the window a little bit more and you're like, oh. <laughs> because it's the marquee and who is with the marquee the newly arrived lady Elinet. i can't even hate her i can't either because she didn't do anything to deserve it and this doesn't turn into a real like love triangle which i very much have complicated feelings about but it just um it gives mel another opportunity to misinterpret something mm -hmm. and assume the worst of people because, like, she sees, you know, Elinette, all, like, lovey, fluffy emotions in her eyes. And she's got, like, a little, like, blush on her cheeks. And she immediately assumes that these people are, like, they're together. But that is such a real human expression. Like, true. Like, you catch a couple who's been in love for years. And mm -hmm. they look at each other a certain way. And I yeah. imagine that's how Lady Elinette was looking at Shafrias. Because they've known each other since childhood. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because we didn't talk about it earlier, but there was um, right before Mel gets full into her party planning, um, she had breakfast with Elinette and me. And uh, Elinette kind of is coy uh, when she gets asked about the marquee. And they have like, you know, like she doesn't say anything out loud, but Mel's getting like the weird feeling about it. Like, this is mine. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away from him. <laughs> and then uh, there's like one part. Uh, and she's like outside the tapestry fucking yet again. eavesdropping. <laughs> gotta stop with the eavesdropping, yeah. Mel. And she hears something in Lady Elinette's tone that's like, oh my God, like she's in love with him. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't feel good about this. I'm just gonna party plan I'm gonna and go avoid her. In the corner. <laughs> I'm just gonna avoid her for the rest of my life. <laughs> and so uh, that's basically how she feels this time too. Cause she immediately feels like curiously nauseous. Like that's interesting. You know what that, feeling is mel mm -hmm. it's jealousy <laughs> weird uh -huh. everyone 
understood that except her. <laughs> She's so unwilling to examine her own feelings. Yes. About yes. And it like kind of not frustrates me sometimes because I also get it. But also it's like, girl, just like open your eyes a little bit bigger and you would see that things are not as bad as you're always assuming. Yeah. And so uh, to double down on this, like not good feeling, it's been two days since Mel sent the ring to her secret admirer and she has not gotten any response back. And uh, heart wrenching. Yeah, because it gets worse <laughs> um, until, you know, doo -doo -doo, uh, she gets a letter back and it's a little snooty, <laughs> a little. It's a lot snooty. It's a lot, it's a lot mean understandable like reasonably mean but it's it's kind of a dick move <laughs> so um basically this admirer kind of thanks her for the gift but he's basically a bit confused about the implications because he's kind of asking like does this mean that mel wants to turn their quiet private little communique into something public because if he wears this like people are gonna know they're right gonna away. be like who is this ring from well, and especially then, after mel's very public yeah, scene of just look at my ring, own ring. Yeah. <laughs> people are gonna have questions so he's like kind of reasonably like i thought we were just sharing secret messages but you want to take this to the next level but you also said that you don't like i'm confused you're giving me mixed signals dick move but considering how like we just said, Mel doesn't examine her own feelings. Mm. Mel probably didn't even think about the implications. Nope. And she really doesn't because she's immediately like super nettled and pissed off about it. And she like struggles with herself and she's wanting to write back a very few like pointed responses. And then like specifically about, you know, oh, wow, you can't accept gifts, huh? Uh, but ultimately, she shows some character growth and she decides to simply write back that he's given her much to think about. And then ask quite politely that if she had asked, would he wear it? Fucking super cute because guess what this motherfucker responds the with? response. A single white rose. <laughs> Purity of intent. Dead. Oh, romance like that could not happen in real life. It's, it's dead. Too, it's dead. Too fucking perfect and cute. Like, are you... Well, it's the, the anticipation and the buildup, right? Yeah. We have so much like automatic and immediate mm -hmm. back and forth. Yeah, like instant gratification. But this is like, oh my God, mm. this man is suave. You don't have to say anything. He just sends a fucking flower. Oh like, my God. Because it's basically like you asked me to do anything and I'm going to do it. Even though I was a dick, like I still very much have feelings for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so after that, like little buildup, um, life goes on as usual. Until one day, Mel finally agrees to start going to the popular sword fighting practice that a group of courtiers attend, including her brother, Savona, and Shavrath. And after they've been there for a little while, Mel finally, reluctantly, agrees to a bout with Shavrath. And uh, she obviously loses. This is not any kind of like insta leveling up in her sword fighting abilities. Um, she stays pretty no... consistent from <laughs> bad to bad. Yeah, yeah. She's still just not great. Um, but she keeps a level head she doesn't have any like crazy little you know like oh my god i'm so embarrassed i'm gonna be mad i was proud of her during this scene. i was too she was like acting like a regular human being <laughs> like a grown woman yeah. <laughs> um yeah and so it's kind of fun because um Shavrayeth asked her rather you know pointedly but politely in his you know cool aloof manner um why she's never come to petitioner's court 
because it's much different than it was in Galdrin's time. And he's like actually seeking outside opinion. He wants people to, you know, consider like, how would you solve this problem? And um, Mel sort of demurs. She's like, I don't know how I feel about this. And then um, she kind of has a Mel moment and she's like, well, why would you want my ignorant opinion on anything political? And then the Marquis, you know, has this interesting little tidbit where he's like, well, you're not ignorant. Um, you've made some respectable progress to overcome that, you know, lack of knowledge that you used to have. And does that not sound very similar to mm. a certain letter mm. written by a certain secret admirer? Hmm. What a, what a difficult puzzle to put together. I will just leave that to you, dear reader, mm. listener, to uh, you come to your own conclusions. But my God, if you haven't figured it out by this point. Girl, that was me. I'll be real. <laughs> I remember, like, you go through this book and you're like, okay, there's only, like, one male character that they, like, really kind of go into. But, like, not going to lie, I don't know if my, like, brain wasn't turned on, but I was like, I still don't know who it is. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe you shut that part of your brain off because you you wanted That's more fair. anticipation. I wanted to be surprised, mm -hmm. and I was because this book is so fucking cute. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Mel finally agrees to go to petitioner's court, and she finds that she's like really impressed with how the court is run now. This is like what Judge Judy. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I imagined. Like they have you know uh, the Marquis of Chevreuse kind of sitting on this little cushion, and he has people walk up, and he's like. You know, has his Judge Judy opinion about it, but in a very Chevreuth way. Yeah, but it's still like Judge Judy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so this like first time she doesn't say anything. Uh, she doesn't have any opinions because she's too busy listening and kind of hearing how the Marquis is soliciting opinions. And that really anyone like the courtiers who attend can kind of give their thoughts in like their recommendations, basically. And so Mel returns to her room with a response to a letter she had written to her admirer. And she basically flat out asks, she's like, I'm annoyed that we can't talk about like current events. Um, why do you think the Marquis of Chevreuth hasn't, hasn't announced a coronation yet? Which legitimate question. Cause it's been a couple months. Yeah. They're just chilling. Everyone's like, Oh, we'll, we'll get a king. It'll eventually. Be fine. Yeah. But it's like, that's a lot of, potential it's a lot of uncertainty for a nation yeah like maybe you should just like do it <laughs> imagine if we had an election and then just didn't like swear the president yeah office. he was just like vibing he's like that's not how this works sir <laughs> i like this pending stage you know yeah. less, less, less commitment yeah but uh very very sadly um the admirer responds and he reveals that they won't plan a coronation or announce one until a throne was crafted for the new queen. Fucking Lady Elinet. And cue the sad 2010 emo music. <laughs> I am talking Pierce the Veil. I am talking all of the sad, you know, paramour feels up in this place. Because goddamn. <laughs> it's such a subtle line. Yeah. But it's got so much power behind it. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden, Mel has all these very complicated feelings about that little sentence. And all of its implications. Because who other than Lady Elinet would that throne be for? Mm -hmm. Of course. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder if the secret admirer knew how much turmoil that line would <gasps> cause her to feel. Oh. I like that. Because, yeah. He's basically like, okay, put your money where your mouth is. Like, hello, wake up. Yeah, like, you're going to give me a ring? Like, 
and you're going to mention real people, like, okay, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> she just, nope, that's the, <laughs> she had, uh, which thank you for coming up with this term, mm -hmm. the Mel moment. Yeah. She had a Mel moment. Mm -hmm. She's like full meltdown. Um, and so she kind of decides to slink out of literally all future engagements. Um, she kind of has like an excuse because she's like party planning the super awesome party, but also it's her like depressive episode. Yeah. <laughs> She sinks low. Yeah. But at the end, all of her efforts are well worth it because the ball is a smashing success and a little uh, interesting tidbit. So who does Mel end up dancing with? The Marquis. Mm-hmm. Mel Vidanric. Who specifically requested a dance with her. Aw. Cute. Mm. And who is caught staring at said dance partner, partner when he's like looking off in the distance? Mel. Mm -hmm. oh, she'd be staring and who ends up watching to see who else the marquee dances with the whole night mel mm -hmm. mel and who does uh oh and who else does mel dance with the whole night oh come on now she literally only dances with the marquee and then they have this like four person quad dance with her the marquee elena and savona and it's very interesting because outside of these two dances the marquee does not dance with anyone else. No one. So he literally only had one one-on-one -on -one dance. And then he had this little like four dance thing with his friends. Interesting. Fascinating. And who knows all of that information and all of that context? Mel. And why? Because she was staring the whole night. The whole <laughs> night. She's got it so bad for this dude. She's... And she won't admit it. No, she has no idea. She's like, oh, oh I just happened to be staring at him. It's... That's weird. Like, it's not like I was looking at him the whole night to catalog exactly who he was dancing with. <laughs> like, only a weirdo would do that. <laughs> not me. <laughs> Yikes. But no, she doesn't have any sort of, like, romantic feelings for this person. For anyone. Absolutely not. No. That's something Mel feels. <laughs> Not at all. And it's kind of like a fun little thing, but it kind of threw me off. So during this little like romantic dance session between um, the bride and groom to be, Mel has a little like self-realization that, you know, maybe she's a little bit lonely and she has never seen a similar expression on um, a man looking at her as she sees on the face of her brother when he's looking at D. That's super depressing realization to come to. And so reasonably, she returns to her room a little melancholy, even though she planned this amazing, beautiful ball that went off without, you know, a hitch. Um, and she's planning to definitely sleep because it's like two o'clock in the morning or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like maybe mope a little bit. That's like on the down low. But like before we move a little bit further, that descriptor, that description of Mel and her little self-realization thing of mm -hmm. being sad I wish there were mo more moments like that in the book. That's mm. I think my only my only wish, like criticism or like not even a criticism because it's, it's I would go and say it's perfect. But that's fair. The emotional depth that Mel shows in this one little scene, I, I just kind of want to see her suffer a little bit more. Yeah, like emotionally because yes. she just refuses to to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I almost wonder, though, if that's what makes these scenes like this one and then uh, seeing Elena and the Marquis through the window, if that's what makes these scenes so powerful and like mm -hmm. so immediately like, oh, my God, I'm yeah, it so comes out of nowhere. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She has these like moments of like she's always super aggressive, always assuming the worst of people. And then all of a sudden she's like, 
maybe I am a little bit lonely. And then it's like, cue the waterworks. Like, I'm pretty sure I teared up when I was reading this. I'm like, no, that's so sad. <laughs> like she deserves happiness. <laughs> yeah. But then it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> so actually way worse than that whole sad little emotional. Oh meltdown. yeah. Way, way worse. Um, because basically she has a rather urgent and unexpected visitor. And who is it? Azzy the spy who promptly announces that the Marquis of Marindar is preparing to march on Ramalna city as soon as the last of her troops arrive. And even worse than that, uh, they plan to light up a metric fuck ton of <laughs> Kinthis to kill all the hill folk so they can chop down all the colorwoods. And so I don't think we've talked about it to this point yet, but like the way I understand it is Kinthis is like this like weed or something and it has magical properties. And if you burn it, it like immediately kills all the hill folk. And so they've like gone through and kind of eradicated most of it. But the Marquis of Marindar basically, you know, shoveled in again, a metric fuck ton of this so that they could take away all the hill folk, you know, get rid of all of the opposition that would be had to like cut down all the color trees and, uh, or color woods and then fund their, you know, conquest basically. It's, I mean, it's kind of fitting, uh, using plants to kill plant people. Oh, I didn't eat. That's oh. why you have me here. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Your girl is not here. It's late. That's fair. And so in very male fashion, she gets dressed at a breakneck speed and tells Azzy that she he needs to immediately go tell the Marquis and his parents about what he had discovered in case they didn't already know. Because, you know, they have their own spies and stuff, but she's just double checking. She's like, someone else needs to know this information, which good on her mm -hmm. that she doesn't like immediately write off being yeah, the only she person. Yeah, a little bit on this one. <laughs> Right. And so um, she goes full speed ahead to the hills to warn the hill folk which is an interesting tidbit. She, her first, you know, in inclination is to run off and save the hill folk, not, you know, partake in any support of the Marquis of Marindar, no kind of funny business. Business. <laughs> she, <laughs> she is trying to protect the hill folk. Which is totally consistent with how the very yeah. beginning of her story kicked off. Yeah, because she was prepared to like, legit fight a war is a totally you know misarmed group of old villagers to defend these people <laughs> it makes me wonder how scary these hill folk are not like in person like oh mm. i'm sure they're weird looking right because mm -hmm. they're trees but <laughs> <laughs> sorry because <laughs> they're trees <laughs> but uh what the concern, like the reason why they need all this metric fuck tons of Kinthus mm. is because the hill folk are supposedly very powerful when they unite together yeah. and go after something. That's what, you know, in the beginning they were trying to prevent, which mm -hmm. is the hill folk coming after them. That's a good point. I didn't think about that they actually pose a threat instead of just like being in the way. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, and so in yet another reckless sprint on horseback across the countryside, <laughs> this is like horseback ride number 74. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, interestingly, there is an unknown helmed messenger always just a few hills ahead of her. And so as she crests up, she sees him in the distance cresting up another hill and then back down again and again for basically the whole day. Is it a helm or is it a flappy hat? I don't know. But uh, those are interchangeable <laughs> because we both know who this messenger is. <laughs> Fair. Is it a plumed helm or is it a floppy hat? 
Um, so basically she, you know, stops for the night at an inn that this like messenger basically had to have stopped at too, because it's the only inn, you know, to get a full night's rest at. And she asked the bartender, the man's identity to which he says, Oh, that guy's in that little back room back there. If you like want to go talk to him and uh, Mel, because that's what she always does. She tries to be sneaky and take a little peek through the door. And who is it? The Marquis of Chevreuth. Oh. <laughs> And he immediately sees her, obviously, because she is not the most sneaky person in, you know, the universe. I almost pictured this comic book level, like, big-eyed. <laughs> oh, shit. No. Uh, he's what? here. No, what do I do now? <laughs> oh, no. Because I think even in the book, she starts to, like, uh, step back and he's like, I see you. <laughs> You're not going anywhere <laughs> You right are now. not sneaky. <laughs> um, but funnily enough, you know, par for the course, the two have... A little bit of a misunderstanding. This is probably the biggest misunderstanding. That's true. Like it's all it's all fun and games when we talk about how they cannot have a reasonable conversation without like going for the throat. This is kind of the worst. It culminates in this moment. Yeah. Because kind of reasonably, the Marquis of Chevreuth is wondering like, what is Mel's whole role in all this like nonstop? nonsense that is happening like all of a sudden he gets you know notification probably that the marquis of marindar has he all these like notification troops. on his handy dandy little oh yeah phone. his like little uh <laughs> light bulb uh... he's got a light bulb <laughs> it's basically a cell phone but they it's like a glowy yeah. ball that yeah. tells him when something messages arrived yeah so he got you know uh what is that drake song you always call me on your cell phone Late night when you need my love. You're asking the wrong This person. is the second time I've done some kind of like song throwback. So please ignore me. But anyway, so he gets this notification. Um, so he he knows that the Marquis of Marindar is like has all these troops. And, you know, it's shit's about to go down. And so he's like, that's interesting that all of a sudden Mel is also here. And like she never really has been cool with me in public. Like she doesn't want to hang out. Like I hang out with around her like people in her circle but never with her directly and we always fight like is she here to go side with them and help this lady steal the throne which again reasonable like mel has not given him any kind of indication that she believes otherwise he's doing what he should be doing as a future ruler which is weighing yes. all the like all the scenarios and kind of ranking them from like worst possible situation and is that the most likely one mm -hmm. all the way down to the most like least likely one yeah absolutely and it it doubles makes sense too because she's like very publicly been seen buddy buddy with the marquis of marindar's son our guy flaubic they you know talked at her ball they had this like cute little like moment where they were like looking at each other across from across the ballroom and so he's reasonably a little bit concerned and uh what's sad though for mel is that Mel literally can't prove that she got notification from her own spy um, because Azmuth went, or Azzy, Azmuth, oh my God. <laughs> Are we doing a... <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, Azzy, uh, where even was I? Oh my God. So she can't prove it because she sent Az Azzy to go talk to the Marquis of Chevreuth, but at that point he was already on the road. Because, like, she kept seeing him. Like, they left at exactly the same time, if not him a little bit before. For some reason, okay, at this point, I kind of doubt Mel. For some reason, she doesn't even think that Shivrayeth, the future king, is not going to be tracking 
large scale military <laughs> movement. It's like, let me send you my personal spy, Azzy, and he's going to fill you in on what's happening in your country. Oh my God. This one man is all that stands in the way of <laughs> the enemy hordes, and it's Azzy, and he, you know, is a retired goldsmith. <laughs> yeah. So she didn't really think through that, but she has no way to like prove herself at this point. And so she's kind of like a, a rogue. Um, loose like cannon. A, a loose cannon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a rogue asset. Like what the fuck is she going to do? Because honestly, her support could tip the scales. Mm -hmm. um, and so. Because like, I don't think we touched on this. Mm -hmm. Like she's got a lot of friends and a lot of supporters of her own. Yes. Court. Yes. She has a lot of uh, like social political power just as like a personality mm -hmm. like she's kind of this interesting you know podunk uh rustic countess who like basically gave a giant middle finger to the old king that everyone hated anyway and then you know made a fool of him on these like uh you know horseback rides across the countryside so she's a she's like a person she's like an it girl mm -hmm. everyone cares about her in it her opinion girl, that's the like she doesn't see herself that way which yeah. is the reason why it works and why you don't hate her mm -hmm. throughout but she's definitely an it girl yeah. at court she's a heroine oh <laughs> <laughs> we did not do that on purpose no we did way. not <laughs> that was very natural mm -hmm. well like totally not natural at all but like not scripted how about that <laughs> um and so it's super sad because um the chevreth or the marquis of chevreth you know, ask Mel where she's headed. Um, you know, like you're headed to the border, huh? To go support the Marquis of Marindar. And he's all quiet and sad, look sounding and looking. And then she hits him with the like, uh, no, I was going to warn the hill folk. And he's like, You're lying, <laughs> I think. Like, I'm not really sure. And so they kind of like end their conversation there because they're at an Im impasse. But Shivrayeth, like his level of confliction is high through the roof. <laughs> and what is he doing with his hands? I don't know. What it, I didn't write He's that down. Tugging at his gloves. Oh, <gasps> yes. This is the okay. So that is important, listener, reader. The this gloves. whole like stressful moment where he's like, I want to be king and like, you know, uh, basically throw her in a dungeon so she can't like be a game changer during the events that are about to ensue but like he's also a man who like maybe has some complicated feelings for mel and he's like but like what if she's not lying <laughs> what do i do then <laughs> yeah and so he's stressing out and like playing with his gloves and he's very fidgety which is not like shivrayeth and mel even comments on that yes she's like oh that's kind of like weird but then they kind of bypass that mm -hmm. so remember that dear listener because uh that's a good tidbit <laughs> so the next morning mel wakes up to find the marquee of chevreath gone um but cutely adorably Aww. uh where her cold soggy cloak was laying out to dry is instead the marquis's magic rain resistant one and girl if i didn't <laughs> squeal out loud <laughs> So fucking cute because you know it like smells like him and she's probably all like snuggled up in it and like a little stressed out. It's going to get dirty, but she's like, oh. so he's super, you know, conflicted on what he feels for me. But like he also kind of like, like he, likes, <laughs> he likes you, but also the like giving this magical cloak, like, magical cloak is kind of a strong word, mm -hmm. just magically rain resistant. Like yeah. the magic in this book is kind of like convenience magic. Mm, yes. Yeah. Cause like even the like phone thing is convenience. Yeah. It's they don't really dive into it, but you know, he's riding around with no 
With oh, no cloak. I didn't think about that. He's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's kind of him to a T is like he's protective, mm -hmm. but in a very durable, like non-confrontational, just like an subtle intrusive way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's like, she's going to be cold. I'm just going to like leave this for her. And it's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, swoon. Mm -hmm. And so um, basically, you know, he's not sure if he totally believes her, but boy, does he always have a soft spot for our Mel. And so Mel rides off and, uh, you know, I'll snuggled up in this cute little rain resistant jacket. And in very male fashion, she finds the wagon train of Kinthus and she parks herself right in front of the convoy of literally 20 wagons full of armed guards and basically announces that they're going to have to kill her to move. I was so confused <laughs> I was during the scene. I'm like, what is happening? What is her plan? Please. She doesn't have one. That's her plan. <laughs> Which is legitimately confusing as a reader. I'm oh, like, yeah. There's got to be something else going on here. No. Nope. She just <laughs> full on sets her ass in the middle of the road. Yep. And she basically almost dies. Like, she absolutely, there is no, you know, magic uh, sword fighting ability that she's been working on in secret. No. She immediately, like, her you know, sword gets flung out of her hand after like one or two strikes. And even the people are like, is, is there okay? something like more going on do we, here? Do you need help? Do you need <laughs> personal help? <laughs> yes. These are the bad guys curious about her. Yep. And it's just funny. And it's just another, another little protective tidbit. Um, there is an interestingly timed huge ass group of riders appearing over the hills right when Mel needs it. And they're all wearing the livery of the Marquis of Chevreuth. The uh, I can never say that word better than you can. The Ren Renzelius. Renzelius livery. Watch me not even be pronouncing it the way the <laughs> it author. It sounds would. good though. Can you say it again? Renzelius. Yeah, it's got it's got all the like letters in there that make something sound good. I just can't. It's say majestic it. sounding. It they really should is. be. Rulers. Yeah, yeah. It the name mm -hmm. done done. And so, um, obviously, because Mel went into this with no plan whatsoever, and it's like one small, very petite person <laughs> against a literal, you know, 20 wagon convoy of <laughs> well-armed guards. Explosives. They're, they're, it's explosives. <laughs> and she's like, no, nah, I got this by myself. <laughs> it's like, girl, you do not got this. <laughs> um, so they basically save her ass. And the next day, they act as her honor guard, and they escort her to the heart of the action because our male obviously doesn't want to miss out. And it's kind of fun, too, because we get a return of Captain Nassarin, uh, mm -hmm. and she's like, hey, girl, like, what you doing? <laughs> she's like, I'm not really sure, but I, I didn't really have a plan. But, like, I was just going to wing it. We were just going to do it live. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's delivered straight to the headquarters tent, where one Marquis of Chevreuth awaits. And oh my God, these next couple lines like just like softened everything in my soul because Mel immediately remarks internally, like as soon as she walks into the tent, that the Marquis's face relaxed. And it's like she like didn't even realize because the line was something like she didn't realize that he was stressed out until all of a sudden she walked in and he like calmed down and he saw her. It's like, that's so fucking cute. <laughs> Like he was stressed out and he's like protective and he's like, oh my God. Cause you know, Mel has a just extraordinary ability to get into some shit worst unprepared. Yeah. Like, do we need to recount the whole snagging the pie off of the table from uh, the Baron and the then immediately? Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. He's constantly like picking up after her. <laughs> and so of course he's stressed out, but it's like a cute little like 
I hadn't I hadn't remembered her focusing on him relaxing. And now I want to go back and read that scene. It's such a cute because she like walks in and it's immediately like he's like, okay, she didn't die, which is like a reasonable. <laughs> and he's busy too. Yeah. Because like immediately he has a bunch of people like in the tent and they're all, you know, like basically preparing to fight this war. It's a command like, center. Yeah, basically like everyone is in there. They all have a role. And so the marquee, I feel like shows a little bit of development in this scene too, because basically in front of the whole tent, he asks like kind of snarkily, like 20 wagons, Lady Malara. And it's like, oh, okay, that's a good that's a good little like zinger. <laughs> He's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like when, when, how many was too many? Mm -hmm. You're really going for 20 as one person. Yeah. And so what proceeds is a bunch of snarky back and forth during which the Marquis demands that Mel come up with something sufficiently heroic to say when she undertakes all of these literally batshit crazy adventures. And she's like, well, I'm just like, I'm Mel. <laughs> and he's like, no, you need something very dramatic to say. And so one by one, the Marquis dismisses all the people in his tent, handing off orders and directive until it's just the two of them. Oh. This whole scene is just fucking adorable. You know that scene in, maybe we already talked about Pride and Prejudice. Uh, yes, but I think it's in episode five, the Q&A. Okay. Well, I think we talk about a different scene, Pride and Prejudice, in the Q&A. Mm -hmm. The scene I'm thinking of is the very last scene in the movie, or the second to last scene where he's walking across the field <gasps> yes! and the sun is just rising. Oh my and God. And it's like misty. Yeah. yeah. And the music in that scene and the general yes. feels. Yes. That's the vibe of this tent. Oh yes. Absolutely. It is so adorable. And so uh, they kind of have this little like Q and a session because like, obviously Mel has questions. And so basically he explains that she missed most of the action because they had arrived and they caught the Marquis of Marindar and her daughter by surprise. Like they didn't know that anyone, anyone had known yet. They were about to like stage a coup. And so he reveals that the Marquis took some poison instead of being arrested, but they had taken the daughter into custody. And he's basically now just waiting for a daily messenger from his parents saying that everything's okay in the city. Um, unfortunately, this messenger is now nerve wrackingly late. Um, and so they have, you know, they end their little question answer period. And he basically asks if Mel has anything else she wants to know. And so Mel gathers up all of her courage. And basically in this adorable little display of courage and strength and, and vulnerability. Yes, oh. vulnerability. She starts in on an apology for acting like a dick to him the past several months. And she says that she owes him a bit of an explanation for her behavior. Oh, we love some good character growth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Accountability, Mel. Thank yes. you for doing that. Yeah. Um, except the Marquis interrupts her and says, before you proceed any further, this might be one of my more spectacular mistakes. And he starts to take off his gloves. And ho, ho, what is on that little pinky finger I'm getting all tingly just <laughs> hearing about this. Again. Oh, my God. It is none other than that teeny little gold ring with the little gold laurels on it and the big stone that we forgot what it's called. Um, that ring is on his finger. So that ring belongs the to ring. Mel's admirer. <laughs> the ring. And it's the ring that she made for her admirer. And uh, Mel, very adorably, very sweetly, very naively. <laughs> she's such a sweet little summer child. 
she very intelligently, you know, you know, straight on the mark. She says, uh, <laughs> that's my ring. <laughs> like, girl, <laughs> welcome to the conversation. <laughs> and so the Marquis snarks back. Uh, yes, you made it, but now it's mine. And Mel's heart is racing a million beats per second. And this suave ass sly son of a bitch <laughs> says, I think it's time to collect on my wager. Do you remember what wager? The wager uh, when they were racing across the countryside. And he's like, if you beat me or if I beat you, you have to give me a kiss. And she's like, oh, my God, like if I win, I don't have to cash in on this. Like and then she lost. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, well, just like, you know pick a time and a place of my choosing this was the time and the place he chose and okay. girl like good decision <laughs> beginning of the book we had to earn this all the way through the yeah, entire for one book. kiss <laughs> the work we put in i have never read so hard for one <laughs> moment between two characters yeah i feel like we've talked about this before and if we haven't mentioned it it's definitely in episode five like this is not a spicy book but this scene was like spicy in the heart. You know? <laughs> this is the one that kind of gives you a little bit of like heartburn. You're like, wow, that tasted good. But like, oh, that was spicy. That is the scene. <laughs> and so after he adds that little like, you know, sly one liner of I think it's time to collect on my wager. He closes in to kiss her all coy and slow. And Mel, our dear fucking adoring <laughs> Lovely Mel. She locks her fingers around his neck and yanks his face to hers. Aw. It is very much them, though. It so is. Because he's like, I'm going to be, like, suave about this kiss and, like, you know, lean in all, like, slow and coy. And she's like, come here, you dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> and so while I wish we could cut off our cute little happy story right here with a clean little happy ending, um, we still have some uh, loose ends to tie up. Specifically... Where is this courier from Chevrolet's parents um, saying everything's Gucci on the home front and he's has not shown Excuse up? Excuse me. Everything's Gucci? <laughs> everything's Gucci <laughs> on the home front. <laughs> wow. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> um, so, of course, golden timing. Um, as they're kissing, you know, the courier comes galloping over. And so they immediately, you know, break apart very breathlessly. And I'm then, shocked that this courier wasn't fucking brand <laughs> with his time. <laughs> that would be so on brand, <laughs> on brand for brand. <laughs> um, but no, it's some like random guy. And he basically says that the whole city is quiet, but not in a good way. Like as in there is literally no one on the streets, not even a dog or a cat. And this is like a pretty big city. So that's, that's a capital. That's suspicious. Mm -hmm. And so they immediately, um, Mel in, uh, uh they immediately set back to Ramalna city to find out like what in God's name is happening in our capital city because like boy is something happening they take a small break on their way however and essentially talk through how um how like literally everything happened and they got to this point because like that's kind of bonkers oh and she also asks about like Elena and he's like yeah she's like a friend and Mel kind of decides to keep to herself all of her, like, observations on, like, breathy Elenit, who's, like, blushing and, like, totally in love. And she's like, I'm going to just keep that to that myself. Was a, that was such a good move on her yeah, part. Yeah, because it shows that she's not um, self-conscious mm -hmm. of, like, her now new relationship with the Marquis. And I feel like that's something we don't get a lot in books, where they immediately kind of, like, pin female characters against each other. But, like, Mel kind of does this in a very, like 
you're a good person. Like <laughs> it's it's good because I mean we don't really talk about Lady Elinette a lot, Mm-mm. but the details that are given in the book about her, she's a cool character. Yeah. She has her own really neat backstory, mm-hmm. and she could probably go toe to toe with Mel as far as like heroines. Yes, um, I I agree. Yeah. But Mel's like I'm not gonna be a bitch. Mm-hmm. Well done. <laughs> Basically. So they have this whole conversation, but um, kind of a, a fun little tidbit was that Mel's mother was killed for learning sorcery. And so um, this little scene is very like cutely ended with, you know, a letter, a little, little tidbit of love. And uh, Shivraith basically asked Mel to call him by his name, literally for the first time in this whole like goddamn book. Um, and Mel very obligingly calls him Vedandric. Uh you know what? I do have a critic. A critic. <laughs> there critic. it is. <laughs> um, that that is probably a, like a personal pet peeve of mine. Is that mm. using the "call me by my first name" as yeah. a romantic moment? Like, I really <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if like we've talked about it, but like I'm married, and I don't think I've called my partner by my like by his name like really ever in like a romantic like you you call them by their pet name or like. Like, you know, like, like whatever you refer in a to them as, as having significance. Right? Yeah, like it's only when you're like mad at them and you're like, "God, like I need help," and you just say their name. It's like it's never romantic or no. like breathy. <laughs> it's usually okay. It's usually in these stories that are set in like a historical or a fantasy setting, mm. where it's like very rigid manners and social norms so using first names are aren't common like mm-hmm. that's the trope and then oh the characters break it by oh we're yeah. going to be romantic with each other with each other but that's not really done in this because don't they all call each other by them for like by their first names yeah actually that's a good point yeah so he just is he like a little bit narcissistic <laughs> <laughs> or uh, I don't know. I mean, then again, they've known each other for like six or seven months and she's literally never called you by your name. She's only called you by like your the title. city you come from. Yeah. <laughs> that would be kind of weird. But still, it's like, home dog. Come on now. Yeah, it ain't that important. Um, Sadly, though, the cuteness ends almost immediately because they finish their ride uh, to the capital city and because literally nothing is going on, as in everyone is frozen solid in some sort of like magic sleep. Maybe it's the Hillfolk. Maybe they like enacted their mm. magical revenge because something happened. That's a good little like diversion. Um, they immediately find out that's not what happens yeah, though. Just try to throw <laughs> the listeners a little bit. Like, let's make uh, the next part a surprise. <laughs> because they creep up to the castle throne room and they're really like not sure of, you know, what they're going to find inside because they're like, oh, like what if it is the Hillfolk? Like <laughs> who could it be? And uh, lo and behold, it's Flauvik. You say Flauvik the way <laughs> I, love... I say Renzelaus. Yes, that is true. Flauvik. <laughs> it's just so much fun. <laughs> um, but he obviously like goes full bad guy. And he has this catchy little one-liner of, what took you so long, my dear cousin Vedandric? It's like he gets his name set by like <laughs> everyone except Mel. <laughs> but it's just, you know immediately cues to the part where the evil bad guy explains all of his plans in a very, you know, gloating manner to, you know, uh, obviously to the shit out of luck heroes who are never going to be able to stop him. And he's so evil genius. Such a James Bond here. Uh, yeah. And Flavix explains that he purposely tried to give the air of a reclusive studious royal 
um, over the years so that no one would pay much attention to him and find out that he has been secretly studying magic for years. Um, however, during this whole monologue, uh, Mel is only half paying attention because there seems to be something on the wind, like some side of, sort of weird humming sound that is just there in the back of her mind. But she's like, I have no fucking idea what that is. But I'm going to give it a little bit of time to develop. And so she decides to keep Flavik talking until obviously this humming sound evolves into like something with a capital S. And uh, Flavik and Mel have this glorious fucking exchange in this tidbit. I love it. She is cold as fuck. So he, um, and this is like a quote. We practiced this quote. Like who could say the the line in this better? And I can't say it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm like, not that I'm like too nice, but like she, I imagine this is said so fucking coldly and like elusively. Like, okay, I'm just gonna, okay. So this is the scene. So he turned to me and with a mockingly courteous gesture said, I fault no one for ambition. If you wish, you may gracefully exit now and save yourself some regrettably painful experience. I like you. Your ignorance is refreshing and your passions amusing. For a time, we could keep each other company. And Mel claps back with a totally cold fuck you in her retort. Unfortunately, I find you boring. <laughs> I beautiful died. Oh my, just how it shows. And even in the book, like right before she says that line, she like musters up her like coldest, most aloof, like snooty, uh, Shavrath voice when she delivers it. And I just imagine it is like direct cut, cold as fuck. Like he is blown back and he's like, this bitch, <laughs> <laughs> just raw, just absolutely cold. Um, but the sound at this point is getting louder and all of a sudden the group looks outside and the building is completely surrounded by thousands of hill folk. And so Flavik starts to panic and he snags up Mel and he has a blade to her throat and he's screaming that, you know, you need to make them stop. You need to call them off. Like we are not going to end this interaction this way, but the hill folk keep on hill folk. <laughs> <laughs> it is a verb now. It is. Hill folk. <laughs> And so all of a sudden, there is an explosion of loud cracks and booms and bright light. And all of a sudden, Flauvik turns into the world's prettiest <laughs> colorwood tree right in the middle of the throne room. No one important dies. I mean, that that's theme. true. He's alive. And I think they talk about that, too. Like, he's just, uh, you know, standing there listening to all these, like, political intrigue happening around him. And if he ever did get turned back into a human, he'd be, like, the smartest, most politically savvy man in the world but he's just a tree and outside the hill folk all you know mysteriously vanish as mysteriously as they'd arrived and the residents of the capital city start to wake up as if from a heavy sleep and there's like one uh one that they co comment on and like talk about and it's this guard and he's like uh snoring really <laughs> loudly like on the ground and that's kind of adorable he's just like he's a hardworking man leave him alone <laughs> and so with final sighs of relief as smithwood writes the duel was over and they had won we did it what a journey we made it all the way to the end we got through all like this is probably like hour four hour five of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> we promise the next ones will not be this long uh, i swear well uh, Maybe. I can't make that promise. Yeah, I can't either. <laughs> we but just this, got a lot to say. If I was going to spend this amount of time on any book, I'm glad it was this one. I agree. 
it's a solid one that I feel like not enough people know about or talk about because uh, we mentioned it earlier in one of the episodes that um, it hits all of the major tropes. So we have a hardcore like textbook enemies to lovers um, because, you know, the Marquis and the uh, Dandrick. There you go. I'll say your name. You know. <laughs> um, we have, you know, that like they start at odds. They actually literally hate each other. And then they very, you know, slowly as they get to know each other, fall in love. So we have that trope. And then we also have uh, like a whole court, you know, intrigue trope, which I feel like is big right now. And then uh, we also have, I feel like there's another one. Oh, we have a anonymous letters. Oh, like that's the that, one that. That's a great one that you don't see a lot. Anymore. Yeah, it's kind of slept on. Like nobody really uh, talks about that one, but. I love a good anonymous letters when it's not from someone like creepy. I have a... <laughs> looked, I think, on the Goodreads list for books centered on that this love letters trope. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. Or, wow. Yeah. Okay. You're just going to like hit us with that like one line on your fucking like resume for <laughs> why you're my, qualified to my do this. Style. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to go any further than that, except Goodreads has lots of handy list that's fair and so uh if you follow us on goodreads uh jordan will you reveal what our next book is oh absolutely mm -hmm. it is the stardust thief by chelsea abdullah <gasps> that is so exciting i feel like i read the back of this book and i'm like i really want to read this right now but i'm going to wait so that jordan and i can read it together with all of our uh, potential listeners at this point, I don't want to get like too big for my own britches, but there <laughs> but could we, be like one or two people. <laughs> some of you reading along with us. Yeah. So that is our next book. We'll put it on our Instagram uh, in case you guys forget or you want to order your own copy. Um, just, so, so, just one final warning. Oh, though, on this book, I believe it's book one of a trilogy and the oh. all three books aren't out yet. And I know some readers don't like to start a trilogy or any kind of series before everything's published. That's true. So um, if you're one of those people, which totally understand that, um, you can flash forward to episode eight, which will be the Q&A session for that book. Um, so if you just want like to get your feet wet a little bit, but maybe not like uh, spoil the whole book you can read that and be like oh maybe i'll you know just like take a little tidbit or i'll wait Devil. for all all three books to come out which is fair up to you your preference <laughs> <laughs> so with that from our shelf to yours we'll see you on the next page hi readers if you'd like to help us pick our next book send us a message on Instagram. Or if you'd like to just listen, we post new episodes every Monday on Spotify, Amazon, or Apple Music. Thanks for listening.